Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Well, I want to start the new year out by speaking on the subject of vision. When you look at vision, just and from the dictionary, vision, just a simple definition, is the ability to see. And some of us are born with great eyesight, and some of us are not born with great eyesight. And some of us, this happens. We were born with great eyesight, but time has passed and our eyesight has failed. But, you know, you were born with good eyesight, and that eyesight over time, the quality of that eyesight has diminished, and now you need glasses or contact lenses, something to improve your vision. It just is it's going to happen. It reminds me of this. There was a woman named Judy, and she rushed to see her doctor. She was looking worried, and she was frantic, and she rattles off to the doctor. Doctor, look at me. I, when I woke up this morning, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I saw my hair was all wiry and frazzled. My skin was all wrinkly and pasty. My eyes were all bloodshot and bugging out, and I looked at this corpse-like look on my face. What's wrong with me, doctor? The doctor looks at Judy over for a couple of moments and calmly says, Well, Judy, I can tell you this. There's nothing wrong with your eyesight. Like it or not. You either find a new doctor or you accept the reality, right? Uh, but like it or not, vision is one of those faculties that was affected by time, and it diminishes with our age. And likewise, in a church, the lifespan, over the lifespan of a church, can be affected by time and age. And if we're not careful as a church, we can lose sight of what God's wanting to do in us and through us. So the type of vision I want to speak to you about this morning is the type of vision that goes beyond our natural ability, uh, beyond this physical world, and it's a spiritual eyes, or a, a spiritual discernment. We discern the activity of God, the ability to discern the activity of God or see the activity of God. So in terms of our relationship with Christ, vision is the ability to see what God is wanting to do in our lives and through our lives. Vision occurs when God reveals himself and his will and his plans, and we are able to discern those plans he is revealing. So vision really is a form of discernment. God is revealing something, and we're able to see it. So that's the kind of vision we're talking about here this morning. There are plenty of people who have visions for their life. They have a vision for their life. Now, I love it when people have a mission. I think when you have a purpose, and you're, you're working towards that purpose, you're living towards that purpose, life becomes more fuller. However, this is the kind of the caveat to that. That vision can't be your vision, especially as a believer. That vision has to be God's vision. That, that, discern, that reality that God's revealing to you, it can't just be your dreams. It has to be God's dreams. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end leads to death. That's, that's the worst part of that, but it's simply this. If we're, if we're following our vision and our plan for our life, it's not going to take us to where God wants us, unless the two are the same. You know, Satan will do this. He'll give you every success this world has to offer. He has no problem with people being successful in this world. By the way, success doesn't always mean that that's God's plan and will for your life. And likewise, failure or defeat doesn't mean that means that, well, that's not God's plan for my life because I went through defeat or I've suffered loss. No, it doesn't work that way. It's this, discerning what God is revealing and following it by faith. That is the most important thing to do when it comes to vision. Discerning what God is revealing and following it by faith. So whenever we think about vision as it appears in the Bible, we should really consider this. There's vision, there's dreams, there's prophecy, there's words of wisdom, there's words of knowledge. They all run together. It's God's form of revealing his will. 
while all these differ from each other, they all have that in common. They're revealing God's plans and his purposes. Think about this. The Bible is full of examples where God is revealing his will or his purpose to his people. Let's just start from the Old Testament. I'm going to name them all. I'm just going to give you a few. If you recall, Jacob had a, a dream of a ladder reaching into heaven, and angels were ascending and descending, uh, going back and forth to the he from heaven and earth. The patriarch Joseph had dreams concerning his future and the future of his family, and he also possessed the ability to uh, translate those dreams that were of divine nature. The prophet Daniel had dreams and visions, many of them having to do with the end times. In fact, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand Daniel as well. Ezekiel has a vision of a valley of dry bones that came to life, become a mighty army. And after the, the, the prophet prophesies to those dry bones, they come to life. Isaiah saw a vision of God's throne, and God was seated on that throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his garment filled the temple. Zechariah saw a vision concerning the end times consisting of four horsemen. In the New Testament, Ananias saw a vision of Jesus, informing him that Saul the persecutor was coming to his home, and Jesus instructed Ananias to pray for Saul. We know Saul gets saved, and he later becomes the Apostle Paul. That all started in a vision. Paul also sees a vision, one of, on one of his missionary journeys. The vision consisted of this, a man living in Macedonia calling out, calling out for him to cross over and preach the gospel into Europe. The apostle Peter saw a vision that instructed him to preach the gospel specifically to Gentiles and to Cornelius' household. There is an entire book of the Bible that consists of a vision. In the New Testament, we call Revelation. It's a vision. So my purpose, my point is this, we can't look at dreams and visions and say these are antiquated methods that no longer are valid to us because we experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. No, dreams and visions, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, they are a part of the New Testament church. So we can see in these examples, God still uses dreams and visions to communicate and reveal his will to his people. So Proverbs 29, 18 is the verse we're going to focus on here this morning. Where there is no vision, the people perish. When you look at that verse, there's two questions you should ask, and it's this. What is vision? And number two, why do people perish for a lack of vision? To get a better understanding of that, how that's being communicated, let's do this. I don't do this often, but look at this verse in several translations. Just allow it to kind of filter in what God is trying to communicate in this verse. Here's from the Amplified Version. And I'm not going to name every version. I'm just going to give you one after another. So the, where there is no vision or no revelation of God in his word, the people are unrestrained. Without revelation, people run wild. Where, there is, where there's no vision, the people get out of control. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. When, when there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. Where there is no divine vision, people cast off restraint. I think we get the big idea now. Vision is important. Vision is important for every believer. When we fail to discern what God is wanting to do in our lives, or how he wants to use us collectively, how to reach our community, the results are catastrophic. They are catastrophic. If we don't understand what God's wanting to do in our lives, in our church, the results are catastrophic. God has a plan for your life. Nobody here is here by accident or here by surprise. 
God created you to fulfill a specific purpose. You know, I said this to a group not too long ago, and if you get sick and tired hearing that, that means you finally heard what I've said. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, every one of you. No, none of you slipped by God. Where did that one come from? No. And remember this, you weren't created, and then God found a purpose for you. God had a purpose for you first, and you were born to fulfill that purpose. That's God's plans. That's, God doesn't do things like all just, well, I didn't see that coming. No. Plan and a purpose. So here's the question. Are we seeing or discerning God's plan for our lives and for our church? The two run hand in hand with each other. Are we faithfully striving to fulfill God's plan or divine, divine plan for our lives and for our church? The answer really lies in our behaviors because we can say this, yes, I know God's plan for my life, and yes, but are we, what does our life prove? What's the evidence? What do our actions say? How do we live our lives in light of God's revelation? That's the answer. It's one thing to say, I know God's plan for my life. It's another thing to actually pursue God's plan for your life. And in the Old Testament, there is a story of Eli. And Eli was the high priest, and Samuel, who was the son of uh, Elkanah and Hannah. And these two worlds collide with these two individuals. Hannah was previously barren for many years. She prayed diligently for a child, specifically a son. Of course, she then makes this vow to God. God, if you'll give me favor, if you'll give me a son, after he's weaned, I'm going to take him to the tabernacle. I'm going to hand him over to the priest, and I want the priest to raise him in the house of the Lord. And that was her vow. That was her promise. So Hannah becomes pregnant, and she sticks to her word. After the child is weaned, she brings Samuel to the tabernacle. <coughs> Excuse me. Eli is the high priest at the time, and he raises Samuel in the house of the Lord. Eli had two sons, and both of them ministered in the tabernacle. Those two sons were ungodly men. They defiled the temple, defiled the ministry. And Eli refuses to deal with his sons. And as a result, the ministry and the spiritual leadership of that nation diminishes. In fact, Eli's failed leadership, and then Israel itself as a whole was religiously complacent. And so there was a spiritual ripple effect that took. They had poor leadership and complacency. And this all kind of comes to light in this statement, 1 Samuel 3, 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, check this out. God is a revealing God, by the way. He's a God of revelation. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Another translation, there, were, there was no widespread revelation. Well, that's a dangerous thing. You don't know how important that is. Without vision, people perish. When God's not revealing, when people aren't seeing what God's revealing, people perish. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives and for this church, but it requires us to see, to discern what God is revealing. And after we discern his plan, we respond by faith and obedience in order to fulfill what he's revealing. Because Eli was disobedient, and Israel was complacent. Visions were rare. rare. There was no widespread revelation of God. When our hearts aren't right, it affects how we understand what God's doing in our lives. It's exactly the example. When your heart isn't right, when your mind isn't right, when you're not in a good place or in the right place, it affects how you see what God's trying to do in your life. It has a major effect. When our hearts aren't right for God, this is what happens. The heavens become brass. You'll pray, and it feels like your prayers just go, poof, and just fall off the edge of the earth. They go nowhere. 
You try to get into the presence of God, worship, and it'll be like you're fighting. God, where are you at? I don't feel you. Your prayers bounce off the wall. You feel lost. You feel aimless. You don't sense that closeness with God. Here's the reason why. It's not the exterior stuff. It's you. It's me. When your heart's not in a good place, you're not in the right place, the plans that God created you for become a distant memory. Become a distant memory. Here's why. Because the priority is where you're at. Because where you're at is not in a good place. Where you need to be is one thing, but where you're at right now is not the place to be. God's got to deal with that. That's why the plans and purposes of God become a distant memory in some people's minds. Why? Because they've drifted so off course that they're a memory. And what God is this doing this, the priority is getting you back in the right place so that in the right place I can reveal to you once again, fresh and anew, where you need to be and where you're going. First things first, remove the plank from your own eye and you'll be able to clearly see. During the time of Eli's leadership as priest, there was no king in Israel. These two paths kind of collide. When we, when we read 1 Samuel and Judges, we feel like, well, that's the end of one story. No, those two actually overlap. Eli was a priest and judge. Samuel was Israel's last judge. So those two timelines overlap with each other. During that time the judge, of Judges, visions were rare, and there was no widespread revelation of God. There was no vision, and it affected, what effect did it have on the people? Well, the people ran wild. The people did their own thing. They cast off restraint. They stumbled all over themselves. In fact, the, the verse that really best kind of describes what was taking place in Israel at that time is this verse, Judges 21, 25. Again, remember, 1 Samuel at the beginning of it, and Judges overlaps with each other. Eli was a judge. Samuel was the last judge. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When people don't have a vision, that God, and it's God's vision, they run wild. They do their own thing. They do as they feel. Do what's right in my own eyes. This feels right. <clears throat> Later, Samuel becomes judge. The people continue to lose sight of God's plans. Here's, here's another, again, another manifestation of this. This is later. Remember, uh, Samuel, again, if there's any confusion again, he's the last judge. Remember, he anoints the first king, Saul. He's the final judge. So here's what happens. Israel wants to be like the nations around them. Everyone does what's right in their own sight. When there is no vision, people do what's right in their own sight. Israel wants to be like all the nations around them. Isn't that the thing that God was telling them not to do? Hey, listen, before you go into the land and you conquer the land, you don't want to be like these folks, the ones that I'm driving out for you. I've made you a chosen people, a holy people, a people for myself, a peculiar people. You're not to be like the world. You're not to have their practices. You're to be distinct. You're my people. My hand is upon you. But what do they do? Slowly, they become complacent, and they become blended into the world. So they're like, hey, listen, we want to have a king like every other nation. Why can't we have a king? This people have a king. These people have a king. We have a judge, a spiritual leader. So they want to do what's right in their own sight. So Samuel, he's heartbroken. He can't understand why on the earth do you want a human king when you have the king of kings as your kings? Why on earth would you want a human king when God is your king? God speaks to Samuel and he says this. 1 Samuel 8, 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people. Give them what they want. Hey, listen, if you're under this understanding that everything happens that will happen and you have no choice, you better pay attention to this verse right here. God's plan was not for them to have a king. But he says, you want to give them what they want. 
if you give them what they want, this is what the king will do. He'll take their money, he'll take their crops, he'll take everything that they got. That's what they want, let them have it. But he says, heed the voice of the people and all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. See, this is what happens when we lose vision, when we lose sight of what God's trying to do. We run wild. We do what's best in our own eyes. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. But here's the question. Are you aware of that plan, and are you living that plan in a manner that fulfills that plan? Is the vision of God God's plan, or is the vision that you have, is it God's plan, or is it your plan? You must make that discernment. If it's your plan, and you're wanting God to bless it, it doesn't work that way. You know, there's one phrase I can't stand when people say this. Well, um, I'll do this, and I'll, I'll ask for forgiveness later. It's like this. God, I'm going to do this, but I want you to bless me. No, it doesn't work that way. God's got a plan and a purpose. You stick with it, amen? So when God's people fail to discern God's plans, and they live them out, when they fail to do that and fail to live them by faith, then people perish. There, there's a body count. There's a real body count. When we fail to do what God's called us to do, people perish. Who perishes? Well, in general, universally, God desires that all come to repentance, amen? So if we fail, if people fail to see God's plan of salvation for them, they perish eternally. So if we're born again and we fail to see what God's doing, it will affect the people that we're called to reach. People who God's called us to reach. People who are perishing in their sins. Church, this is what the question I want to ask you. Who has God called you to reach and to disciple? Who has God called you to reach and disciple? Who is God calling us to reach and disciple? Who has God called us to rescue? Who is drowning in judgment? Who is drowning in sin? Drowning in religion? Who is he calling us to? When we have no vision, people perish. When we have no vision, we just do church as we want, and people can go to hell. That's exactly what happens. Every church does this. When they go through this life cycle, and their vision begins to diminish. They lose sight of the most important thing. The most important thing isn't in here. It's out there. And the more inwardly focused a church becomes, it more it self-destructs. Happens all the time. Who in our community is perishing because we're failing to see God is calling us to share the gospel with them, disciple them, and help them to do this. Help them to understand what God's called them to do because God's got a plan and a purpose for them. Do you realize this, that whatever we lack in our church, it's out there? Whoever we lack is out there? We just have to reach them. Do we have a vision to reach them? Well, I don't like them. I don't like what they do. It doesn't matter. It's not up to you. That's God's plan. See, it's either your plan or God's plan. Which is it? Which one are we following? If we follow God's plan, listen, there's success, there's blessing. But when we do what we want to do in our own eyes, it's going to end in failure and people will perish. Think about this. The Apostle Paul, he has this plan. And his plan is this. On his second missionary journey, he's going to go back to the churches that he had established and he's going to encourage them. And he's just going to, hey, I'm going to go back and I'm going to backtrack. I'm going to speak to these churches. We've established them. I'm going to encourage them. That sounds like a good plan, right? That makes sense. There's nothing wrong with the plan. It's a good plan, but it's not a God plan. God says this, that's good, but that's not what we're going to do here. Here's what takes place. So he's on a second missionary journey. His vision is to reach those people he's already reached. He's going to strengthen them, encourage them. Again, there's nothing wrong with the plan. But here's what takes place when he, when he tries to do this. Acts 16, 6 through 10. And now when they had gone through Phrygia 
and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And Asia, by the way, is not the continent of Asia. It's the province of Asia in Asia Minor, which is basically, you know, Turkey. After they came to Mycenae, then they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came to Troas. And look at this, New Testament, book of Acts. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, look at this, immediately, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Who are we hearing in our community that is crying out? Who are we hearing that is pleading for us to come over them and preach the gospel? Are we hearing their voice? Do we hear that voice of the single mom? She's got three kids. Each of those kids got three different dads. She's on boyfriend number six. She's in a desperate place. We can look down on her, or you know what? We can reach her. What about those kids she got? Those kids will be messed up. Those kids will be angry. They'll be nasty. Well, why do you think they're nasty and mean? They got three different dads, six different boyfriends. What in the world do you think is going to happen? Well, they're nasty. Why? Because they're putting up a front. That's why. Because that's the only way they know how to defend themselves. The only way you can disarm them is by leading them to Christ. Do you hear the drunkard? He's crying out. Do you hear the drug addict? They're crying out. Do you hear the religious? They cry out the most. They're hard to detect, though, because they think they're saved. They believe, I've said the sinner's prayer, I was baptized but they're never truly born again. They never had a born-again experience. Do you hear them crying out despair? They're wondering, why in the world, I go to church, I go through these motions, why does God feel like he's a million miles away? Because he'd never been born again, that's why. Because someone told you this, all you had to do was make a decision, sign a card, say a little prayer, and that without repentance, without truly surrendering your life, you can't be saved unless you surrender. You can't just say words. It's not word service. That's how you get saved. It's not a formula. I say this, I say this, and boom, it happens. All I got to do is sign the card, make it official, walk the aisle, shake my hand, introduce me to the church. So-and-so is born again. No, they aren't. Not unless they've yielded their heart and they've experienced new birth in their lives. But there are tons of people in this community. Ain't nobody going to hell. They're all going to heaven. We have people in our community, like the Macedonian, crying out, crying out desperately. Do you hear them? Do you, have a, do you hear them? Do you see them? If so, are you reaching them? Paul, receiving the vision of the man calling out from Macedonia, immediately drops what he's doing. Man, my plans aren't working. This isn't God's plan. I need to do what God's calling me to do. They're preaching the gospel on the eastern side of the GNC, on the, Medi on the Middle Eastern side. And what do they do? They cross over to the European side. What is God's vision for your life? If it's real, if it's God's plan, it will be accomplished with a ministering purpose. If it doesn't, it means that it doesn't mean this either. So I'm called to reach people, but I thought that was the calling of pastors and evangelists and missionaries. No, we're all called to do that. God gives you and I talent. He gives us time. He gives us resources. He gives us opportunities. You can be a better witness than I can ever be because you have the opportunity. God has placed you and I in this community to hear the Macedonian calling out, crying out. And are you hearing him? Are you seeing him? And are you going to them?
But I, I'm not called to be an evangelist. Neither am I. And probably, probably you're right. You're probably not called to be an evangelist. Here's what I mean by that, though. But you're called to be a Christian. See, soul winning has nothing to do with that calling. I think we, we forget that. We, we made Christianity in the Western world a spectator sport. We come here, the pastor preach, and we go home and we do it again. No, that's not what it's about. Some of us think church is in a priestly form. We come and watch the priest perform the service, but that ain't the service. See, we picture the pastor as the priest who does the work of the ministry on behalf of the church, and the church mostly observes the pastor. Just look at our actions. Look at the actions of most churches in our community, by the way. There are some that are, are just knocking it out of the park, doing great things. And there's so many of us, of most of us, or more, we come, we go church, we do church, and we go home. 20% of the people, and we used to say doing 80% of the work, that's no longer true. It's 20% of the people doing 100% of the work. And this should not be the case. Why is that? Because we've lost vision. We've lost our vision. We've lost our, our perspective of what God is revealing. Here's often another reason. We're just too busy with life. I understand life is busy. And I understand there are things that take place. But you know what? There are certain priorities you've got to fight and defend in your life as a family. Remember this. The example you give to your children is powerful. Church ain't important. Is often conveyed. And I'll say this and I'll say it again. There are certain aspects of the Christian life that cannot be fulfilled unless it's in this context of a body of believers. There are certain things you can't perform, you can't do as a Christian without the context of a body of believers. Fellowship. Do I need to continue on? God's not called us as individual Lone Ranger monk Christians out in some wilderness by ourselves. He called us to be a community of believers working together for a purpose, a family. The ministry callings aren't there to do the work of the ministry. They are there to call, to equip, and encourage the church to do the work of the ministry. So remember this. Look at this verse here, Ephesians 4.11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. These ministry callings aren't called to do the work of the ministry. They are called to equip and encourage the church to do the work of the ministry. We didn't read one verse or one implication in any of those verses that said an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher does the work of the ministry on the behalf of the church. See, do you hear the Macedonian crying out on your job? Do you hear the Macedonian crying out, maybe a family member crying out? Do we hear them, or do we see them at the grocery stores, at our schools, on our sports teams? Do you hear people crying out under the mask of religion? So I believe the past 20 months has done this during the pandemic, however, however it's affected us locally, because it has had an effect. So I believe over that past 20 months, the, the, the pandemic has had an impact. Not, not so much on, oh, we're fear of, of getting COVID or something. No, it's this. It's got us out of a habit or out of, out of groove. We've really lost sight of what we're called to do. And we've allowed it, and I've allowed it. But it's time for change. We've gotten ourselves into a religious rut. When I took some surveys of you based on your devotion life, many of you are in a rut. Now, you can blame the pastor, you can blame this person, but 
I'm not there with you by yourself in your home. We have people, if you come twice a week, we have you for three hours. The responsibility falls on the believer. You disciple your children, you disciple yourself, you disciple your family, you disciple others around you. This is supposed to be a place where we come together, celebrate, where you're encouraged, you're equipped, you're resourced, you're released. The work of the ministry takes place outside of these walls. You've got to get that into you, church. And I know it's hard. It's hard for us because some of you have just been churched all your life. Times have changed, and times are going to continue to change, and the church better change to meet that challenge. It doesn't mean we compromise the message. The message can never be compromised. It doesn't mean we, we compromise morals or anything like that. We don't need smoke machines, light machines. That's, if, if you do that, that's fine. I don't care. But we don't have to do that. All you have to do is have this, a heart to reach people and to go and do it and focus on the goal. Because when a church loses that focus, they begin to crumble inwardly and fight and nag and bicker and do all kinds of stuff. It's a perfect example of losing sight of the most important thing. Jesus called us to reach people that no one else wants to reach. Specifically in this church, of all the different prophecies and words that have been given over churches, that was the one that I heard that I felt like in my spirit that's exactly what God's called us to do as a church, reach people that no one else wants to reach. Listen, you know this. If you live in this community long enough, you've been in any other church, you know this. I don't care what takes place in another church. I don't care if this person leaves a the church, they go to another church, and hey, man, they are free. Let's grab them up because that is the mentality in our community. This person gets disgruntled. They stop going to church. Let's get them into our church. And that's what we call soul winning. That's what we call church growth. God has not called me to pastor disgruntled people. He's not. He's called me to pastor a church who wants to reach lost people. God's called me as a pastor to pastor a church who desires to reach people no matter who they are, no matter what they do. If a person is a homosexual, how in the world do you think they're going to get saved unless they have contact with the body of Christ and the gospel of message? So when you reach people that are no one else wants to reach, it gets messy. It's not tidy anymore. They mess things up. They cause chaos. This may not be the church for you. We're going to reach lost people or we're not. He calls, he's called us to reach people that stink. I don't mean stink. I mean stink. They're nasty. They're hurt. They're lost. They're traumatized. Whatever. God's called us to be a beacon of hope in our community. Our community is sin-saturated, and it's religious-saturated. And I can't reach this community on my own. I wish I could, but I can't. I need you. We need each other to fulfill God's plan. I hope you see what God's trying to do. Paul responds to the Macedonian. He goes, he and Silas cross over into Europe. They end up ministering in Philippi. You know what takes place in Philippi? Remember, this is where the now it happened as they went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit in by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she, this she did many days. But Paul greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when the master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. 
and teach customs that are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive and observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrate tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid the many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer. Remember that, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he, the jailer, put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now remember that. Paul and Silas locked in prison. Midnight hour, began to praise and worship. Of course, the earthquake takes place. Chains are broken off. The door is flung open. The prisoners can run free. The man in charge, the jailer, tries to kill himself because, you know what, he's going to be killed anyways because of a dereliction of his duty. And this is what takes place. But Paul called out in a loud voice saying, Do not harm, your, harm, harm, for we are here. And then he called for a light and ran in and fell down immediately before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Who is this man? He's a man calling out from Macedonia. I'm telling you, that's who it is. It's the first man that gets saved after Paul goes there. The first man that gets saved in Macedonia, in Europe, is the jailer. Man, there's people out there, church, just like that. We better be listening. We better be listening. And he cries out. Paul ministers to him, leads he and his family to the Lord. People are crying out. Who's crying out? Who is God sending you to? Are you seeing them? Are you hearing them? And are you reaching them? Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.